everybody, this is Dan Lobby. Before we get started here on the Orange and Brown Talk podcast, let me tell you about Football Insider, our text subscriber service where me, Mary Kay Cabot, Scott Patsko, Alice Williams will text you with the latest on the Browns news, analysis, what we're thinking, and more. You can text us back and we respond directly to you cutting through the clutter of social media. You also get opportunities to get involved in this podcast and participate in roundtables and other events for our subscribers. It's like a little club and you want to get involved with this club. You even get a newsletter every day. It's got exclusive content you either won't see on cleveland.com or you'll see before anyone else. You know what though? Don't let me tell you about it. How about if you hear from some of our subscribers as to why they love Football Insider? I, I don't know why any Browns fan would not want to have this. It's great. There's something every day. I mean, it's really, really keep, keeps me in touch with uh, the Browns. The daily newsletter that y'all put out there, I, I really like that. It's got a lot of links, a lot of different read-ups. I, I mean, just, you know, you get a lot of content. That's why I like it. If I'm at work or something, I need a quick break. I can hit that up and say, oh, and in a minute I can read uh, what you wrote and, uh, you know, see maybe that there's further information in, you know, one of your other articles or something like that. I get excited when I see, you know, my little text messages pop up. <laughs> so if you want to join us, you can start a 14-day free trial by going to cleveland.com slash browns and clicking on the box on the right side of the page. It's $3.99 per month after the trial. Or even easier, since it is a text service, pick up your phone and text 216 208 3965 to get signed up. Again, to start your 14-day free trial, text 216-208-3965. Everybody, welcome to our first ever Football Insider Browns postgame show. Uh, I am Dan Lobby, and right now in the room with me is uh, Doug Maurice. Actually, virtually in the room with me is Doug Maurice. Uh, Scott Patsko is here as well, Terry Pluto. Uh, you will hear from him. Those are our, our first three folks here in the room. Uh, well, Mary Kay Cabot will probably jump in at some point. Uh, we'll, we'll see if we get a chance to hear from Ellis Williams as well. But we're going to be with you here uh, for about the next hour. And of course, we want to hear from you. So uh, feel free to jump in and use that raise hand function. If you click on participants on the bottom of the screen, uh, it'll open up a panel. There's a raise hand function on the bottom. Or if you're on your phone, uh, I don't know if you called in, if you can do it, but if you're on your phone um, via Zoom, the Zoom app, you can click on those three dots and it'll give you a raise hand function. And then, uh, of course, this is also going to go up as our Monday podcast. So uh, you'll get to be a part of the podcast as we often do with our Football Insider subscribers. All right, let, let's get to it here. The Browns uh, opening game, 38-6 to six losers uh, against the Baltimore Ravens. This was not, I guess, as bad as 43 to 13 a year ago, but it was a, uh, a very brutal football game to watch. I, I know here in person in Baltimore, it was just strange all around with, with everything that was going on and not having fans in the stands and you know, empty walking up to the stadium. I'm, I'm sure for you guys watching the game, it was not very much fun to watch. Uh, let, let's just get those quick instant reactions. Terry, let's start with you. What, what was your first reaction to this football game? Well, if you're doing the math, actually, this was worse than last year. Um, losing by 32 points. That's true. Right? Okay. Well, Hugh Jackson and Hugh Jackson somewhere is yelling, I never lost games by 32 points. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to go any farther than that. I was discouraged for a couple things. And, and number one being that, uh, uh, first of all, Baltimore could score 55 or 60 points. This is like when you know, Alabama brings in name your lower tier Mac team and pays them a million bucks just to have a scrimmage. And that's what it looked like. And, you know, I think we should, Hey, you gotta be better than that. Yeah. That, that's sort of how I felt, Doug. I, um, you know, I didn't expect the Browns to beat the Ravens. Uh, you know, I don't know that many of us did. Scott, I do think you might've picked the Browns, but. Uh... I don't want to talk about it. We won't, we won't get into that. Um, but it was disappointing, I guess, just to see how this game played out and to see some of the mistakes that they made and, and just some, some unavoidable things that happened. It was just a frustrating football game to watch. I think it's important right now for everybody to try to differentiate between what are the things that happened because Baltimore is so good and what are the things that happened because the Browns have trouble there. 
And when you think about that they didn't spend a lot of money at safety or at linebacker, they have a bunch of injuries at corner, but also it's Lamar Jackson and Mark Andrews and a, and a really good coaching staff. And so, I, you know, we knew that some that the back seven were going to struggle at times. They're not going to look like this because they're not going to play Lamar Jackson every week, right? So I, I, I'm not going to go too bonkers about what Baltimore did offensively because I think Baltimore is going to do that to a lot of teams offensively. You know, what the Browns did offensively, and they they would look good at times, and then again they'd have the killer penalty or they'd take a sack, and now all of a sudden – Baker's forcing things that felt very familiar. And I did come away from this thinking, you know, Kevin Stefanski, a lot of people liked his calm and his poise and his competence this off season. But if Freddie coach, Freddie kitchens was the coach for this game and he had tried a fake punt in his own territory on the second drive. And they had this, they had stupid penalties again, people would be marching on Freddie's house with torches so, like, you know, I don't know. It's not, I'm not, like, criticizing Kevin Stefanski. Stuff happens. But Kevin Stefanski got a lot of credit for being competent. And in week one, you know, understandably, but still, his team did not look very competent. Okay, you know what? This, this is a post-game show. We're allowed to, to get into some of these plays. Uh, but before we do that, Scott, I'll let you – I kind of want to hear what you thought of the game. But then we got to talk about the fake punt. We, we just have to. So, Scott, your, your thoughts on the game in general, and then we're going to talk about that fake play. I mean, you remember back in early August when we were all wondering if, you know, the Browns could have all this newness and, and new coaches, new scheme, and, and virtual offseason and be ready for the season? Well, the day we found out that, no, no, they can't do it. You know, and I think Doug's right. I think defensively, this team was in almost like a no-win situation. You had – you had key injuries in the two positions. You just could not lose people at, at linebacker and safety. And then, you know, on top of that, you have two of the guys who are probably going to, you know, Grady Williams was a starter. Kevin Johnson is probably going to be your starting nickel there. So it, it wasn't going to be a pretty day for the, for the defense, considering who you're playing the offense. Hey, they rushed good when they, when they could still run the ball, you know, they, they were averaging over six yards of carry in the first half. Um, although Nick Chubb, half his yards came on one run, but still, there's some promise there. As far as that fake punt goes, um, 2016, Browns and Eagles. I'm sure you remember that when they had the direct snap to, to Duke Johnson and they tried to have Britton Colquitt block on the edge. That was fourth and five from their own 31. So this was a little bit deeper than that. Um, most analysis would say you don't even go for it if you have your offense out there on fourth and four at your own 31. They tried to do a fake punt. So I think, uh, I mean, if you want to get into that now, I, I, that's a risky call no matter what time of game or what the circumstance. And I, that was probably too deep to try that. One thing that comes to mind, you know, while Stefanski said it's on me, Mark Prefer is the special teams coach. And, you know, he's respect, he really was an upgrade last year from the uh, moral Amos Jones, but he must've seen something on this. I'm sure this was his idea. Uh, and your first punt of the year in Baltimore doing that, please yeah but the head coach can say hey that's a stupid idea we're not doing it i'm, I'm so with, it is I'm, on kevin stefanski no you know, no you're right i'm with you on that but i meant in terms of their whole overall preparation doug so in other words yeah you're right stefanski could have said this is a stupid time to do it even if we think we can do it at some point now you're right on that one but i guess i was trying to find out where did this brainstorm begin what was the first lightning bolt I mean, maybe maybe it's a Scottish hammer. They always wanted to see him running the ball. I know. Well, that was I, I almost I almost tweeted uh, after the play. You know, this confirmed that this is not rugby because uh, it's all <laughs> we ever heard about the Scottish hammer. He's this rugby player. He's this guy who's who's not like not a typical punter, right? He's going to run guys over. He's going to he wants to make tackles out there. Well, yeah, that that didn't go so well when when he got his first carry. That that was such a strange play. You know, we, it's easy to get caught up in. Um, you know, results, right? We talk about result versus, uh, versus process. And sometimes you can call a fake punt like that. And, uh, you know, it, maybe it's the right time, but just something goes wrong. Somebody misses a block or somebody makes a great play on defense, but you can look at it and say, it was a great call. I'm having trouble figuring out the process on that one. I, I, don't, I don't think it's easy to defend the process there. 
Well, and I think the idea, you know, it, it shows to me, like, I guess you could say, well, maybe he has faith in his defense. It showed to me a lack of faith in your offense, that, like, you're in desperation mode already. And then the Browns, the next time they get the ball, now they're down 10 nothing. they march right down the field. It's like, look, you can move the ball a little bit, but luckily the defense did hold them to a field goal. But it's like, you don't, you have all these guys, you're so desperate to try to move the ball that you're going to do that. I don't think if you have a belief in your offense, you shouldn't be behaving, be behaving desperately on the second drive of the game. I would have felt better if they had left their offense out there and gone for it, um, giving themselves obviously a lot more options and just Jamie Gillen trying to decide where he's going to run. If he bounces that to the outside, he might pick it up. But, you know, again, we're talking about your punter and he's just kind of focused on getting to, to the mark. He's sound like he's supposed to be Leroy Kelly. He's a Spanish rugby player. I know. That's why I say if you keep your offense out there. He bounces it to the outlet. You got Something four yards bounced. to go. Something bounced. All right, we've never, we've never seen him play rugby, could, though. I couldn't handle it, Scott. I'm sorry. <laughs> we're we're going to bring in our, uh, our first question here of the – our first ever question on our, our Football Insider uh, post-game <laughs> show. It's, it's going to go to Shannon, who uh, it, looks like you're, uh, it looks like you're back home there, Shannon, if you can unmute yourself and, uh, and ask your question. Uh, fire away. Hey, Dan. It's amazing that you're – actually the person that I'm talking to it, it was so much fun to like join this um yes I was in an RV we evacuated for the hurricane Lord but I'm back in my Browns room <laughs> unbelievable to be back here and it was also unbelievable to see the same things that we see year after year I, I don't even know how to grasp the things that we see, and I'm, I'm sitting in my recliner and I'm going, my God, coaches, GMs, everything. And, and I don't even know if this is a question or, or whatever. I'm just so frustrated. <laughs> oh, I am so I really thought we might. You know, if Odell Beckham catches that third and two, what, you know, we'll never know. Does does that mean a difference in the game? I don't know. It's, it's it's just I'm frustrated. I'm sorry that I'm not making sense. Probably, but I love being on this. I'm so happy that I paid this subscription, and I love y'all. And I'm just frustrated. Sorry. <laughs> I, I I don't think you're uh, you're alone in that one, uh, Shannon. But. Look, okay, so there, there's two kind of veins there, right? There's the, there's the bigger picture of, of what he had to say, but the smaller picture was Odell Beckham dropping that football. Odell Beckham's got to make that catch. I mean, it really sometimes is that simple. If you're Odell Beckham Jr. and it's third down and you're across the marker and your team is trailing, was it 10-6 at the time or was it 17-6? It was 17-6 at the time. Uh, you're trying to make sure Baltimore can't do as Baker Mayfield called it, the double dip at the end of the first half and into the second half. You, you gotta make that catch. There's, there's no other way around it. That's just a play that, that Odell Beckham has to make. I got one stat and that one, because Doug wrote about Odell a lot, but just throw this out there. Baker threw 10 passes to Odell. He threw a grand total of eight to the tight ends. Eight, by the way, the tight ends caught six of those. And Odell caught three. Um, they're stuck, they're stuck again with Odell. And again, he made that mistake, but you know, listen, everybody drops passes sometimes. Right. But this guy was, I think tied for seventh among receivers last year in the NFL mm -hmm. with drops. Mm -hmm. He had the play where he just sort of sloppily stepped out of bounds on a Baker scramble that negated an eight yard catch that then it would have been second and two instead of second and 10. Then they end up punting on that series. He had the face mask when they're trying to get him involved and they throw him a bubble screen. I mean, it's not just one thing. It's repeated things. And again, it's not even that this guy should be making the kinds of plays that win you games. So it's not, I mean, like the, the threshold when you make $14 million a year and you're taking up this much of the cap, the threshold for your performance is really high. And I think there were, there's been a lot of talk, you know, in the offseason about the excuses for last year. I think a lot of them were real, missing the preseason, the injury, Freddie in the offense, whatever. But game one, I mean, it's just like, you think about, okay, other great receivers, other number one receivers around the league. Did they catch that ball on third and two? Does Michael Thomas catch that? I think we all assume that he does. And hey, that's the and level. To your point, 
to uh, and 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 I'm doing this because I want you're better at this than I am. But I just want to throw out Jarvis Landry catches that, and Jarvis Landry caught was it five or six balls? What and he hardly did anything in that preseason. And Mark Andrews catches that in this game <laughs> for the Ravens, and Marquise Austin, Brown catches that. Austin and, Hooper probably catches it. You know, it's it's not a lot to ask, and 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 so at some point and. We end up spending a lot of time sort of on antics with Odell. This is who cares about antics? You have to produce, and that's a potentially a fourteen-point swing. I don't think if he catches that, the Browns win, but it's a potential fourteen-point swing. And when they're playing a team that's not as good as the Ravens, that might be the kind of play that determines whether you win or lose. And at some point, he has to rise to the standard that he's paid for. And today was another day where he didn't do it. But Scott, I, I thought you made a good point. This team was moving the football, right? And when you are moving the football and you're showing something, hey, we, you know, we survived that disaster of a first quarter. Now we're moving the football. And then just little things like that, it turns a game from what was 10-6, what could have been maybe 17 to, uh, 17 to 13, or if you go for two, maybe 17-14, it turns it into a blowout. Meanwhile, Dave Njoku is jumping over people and catching oh, passes out there. How about uh, that? You guys are, are going to make up. me talk about Dave Njoku, aren't you? <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you, you know, and then the missed field goal, I think, just added so much to it. I mean, if he makes a field goal there, maybe you don't feel so bad, but then it just compounds things. Uh, and then it just reminded me a lot of what we saw last year with forcing the ball to Odell and trying to get him involved. They came out in the third quarter, their first drive, 10 plays, six of them went to Odell. They're all incomplete. Um, so, I mean, that's largely where a lot of those 10, 10 targets came from. Uh, they clearly have not figured out how to get him and Baker on the same page. It's like we're, we're seeing the same thing a year later that, that we all saw last year. It's, you know, and, that's and a lot of money to be spending for a guy you're not able to get the ball to. And things do build on themselves. I think maybe if he catches the third down ball and he feels involved, then maybe you don't have to force it to him as much later on. Like it's just, oh, well, he dropped that. We don't want him to get down. Let's force it to him. Now the offense is so thrown off. You, they really end up doing things a, a lot around Odell, right? And then you think at the times, Odell, it was right there in your hands and you didn't come through. And now, you, now it's working against you both ways. Meanwhile, Jarvis Landry just plays receiver and, and catches balls, and we don't have to worry about forcing the ball to Jarvis. And uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm I've been real down on Odell for a long time, so maybe I should be dismissed on that account. And I love Jarvis. Not well, as Jarvis much as Rashard Higgins, but but Jarvis. Well, your your guy Rashard didn't play very much today. Jared. I know. Yeah, we have, who was playing in front of him? Uh, Daryl Hodge. Oh yeah. Uh, Kareem, my guy Kareem Hunt was out there. He would have caught that third down. He would have caught that. <laughs> Hey, we just had somebody else join us from our, uh, our team. And again, I, I want everyone out there, if you're listening and, and you want to you wanna vent about the game, you want to ask a question about the game, there's something that, that you want to talk about, uh, click that raise hand button. We're going to welcome on Ellis Williams into the room as well. And Ellis, I asked everybody else this. Uh, let, let's just kind of get your, uh, your, your quick takeaway from, I, I guess this is actually your first season opening loss covering the Cleveland Browns. This is a very momentous occasion for Ellis, we've all kind of been through this before, but Ellis, this was your first one. Yeah, what is it now, 16 years without a win? And this one felt over, uh, what, at halftime, if not right early in the third quarter there. Um, I heard you guys talking a lot about Odell, um, real disappointing performance from him. Um, of course, the drop sucks, uh, that third down drop, but the play that stands out even more to me is when he was out of bounds and then came back in bounds, catches the ball, and then is deemed ineligible. And, you know, for a superstar receiver, you just can't, you just can't slip up like that. He's such a – he really lacks the details to exceed in this offense, I will say that nicely. I don't – he's such a freelancer when – but you can't just go out of bounds like that and then expect to make a play when you, you are need to be so situationally aware like that. And that has to be driving Kevin fancy nuts. Um, I wrote about already the defense and the lack of intensity the secondary brought. Um, to me, it looked exactly like, just despite having a completely new defensive coordinator and game plan, um, this defense looked a lot like how they looked the second time they played the Ravens. Uh, just 
it's no secret. The Ravens want to throw to their tight end. They want to throw across the middle. They want to throw to their slot receivers. And the Browns today did nothing to slow those guys down. Uh, Hollywood Brown had 100 yards receiving in the first half. Um, all his receptions, for the most part, if my memory serves me correct, came with him either starting in the slot or ending near the middle of the field. It's, it point being, he covered the middle of the field at some point before receiving the football. And then Mark Andrews, two touchdowns across the middle. And the Browns, whether it's a nickel corner, a safety in the box, or linebackers are doing nothing to get their hands on these receivers. So between Odell and the, the defense, um, of course, a disappointing performance. And I'm probably uh, just repeating a lot of what's already been said. No, no, that's fine. I mean, the thing is, that's what we want. We want you guys coming in and, and telling us what, what you thought of the game as, you know, as we go. And, and that's sort of what we were talking about with Odell. But, you know, I, Doug said it. He's got to make plays to help you win games. That's, that's what you want him to do. Uh, we got a couple hand raises, so we're going to go there. Uh, we're going to start with uh, Terry. I'm going to ask you to unmute. And once you do that, you can go ahead with your question. Try that one more time real quick. There we go. Terry, go ahead. Okay. My question is relative to our place kicker. Um, I noticed that we have, um, uh, you know, place kicker on the practice squad, which nobody normally does. So I think they were anticipating a problem. But what interests me is we can't even get the kickoffs to the end zone. And after we scored our first touchdown, we then had the uh, – they returned the ball to the 40 and that's when they did their, their touchdown and why they must've known there's a problem. So why didn't they do anything? <laughs> well, I think the, uh, the benefit of these, these weird rules this year is, is you have a guy like Cody Parkey on your practice squad, because you got to have a kicker in case Austin Seibert were to test positive on like a Saturday night. So you've got to be able to elevate somebody quickly you can't just bring somebody in, you know, they have to go through protocol. So you have to have somebody who's been in your building, uh, who's gone through testing and, and can take that over. But the other effect, of course, is you've got this kicker on the practice squad who, if Austin Seibert struggles, you can waive him and you'll, you'll have a guy who can go on Thursday. Again, that would be a problem. If they wanted to move on from Seibert tomorrow and they didn't have a kicker ready to go, I don't know if they could get somebody on the roster by Thursday to play. So um, it, yeah, I don't know that it's going to happen, but I mean, there's a real chance because of these funky rules and because he had that kicker stashed, um, you know, you could make a move before Thursday's Bengals game. As far as the kickoff thing is concerned, um, that, that's a little bit of a Mike Prefer thing, honestly, where I, I think he, uh, you know, you have two choices on a kickoff. You can kick it out of the end zone or you can try and put the ball right on the goal line, make a team make a decision. And then what you have to do is you have to tackle him before he gets to the 25. You know, you're, you're playing a little bit of a field position game. Like you mentioned, the Browns did not do that twice today, actually. They let one go out, like you said, to around the 40 and another one out to about the 25. So it just didn't work. Uh, but the kicker, here we are. We got to talk about the kicker, right? And can, we vote, can we just vote who thinks Austin Seibert will be the kicker on Thursday? Use, uh, use those little hand clap emojis or whatever. <laughs> Well, I see lots of thumbs down on the uh, on the video here. I do not think he will be the kicker on Thursday, the way Kevin Stefanski talked about him after the game, and I don't think he should be. You know, the other thing too that happened, and Dan, I'm going to sign off after this. I have to go back yep. and scribble, but uh, this is another thing where where you don't have the uh, the preseason games and all that, where you know he might have lost. The, say they had he and Parky or he and somebody else in here from the beginning. Uh, he might have lost a job before the opening game. We don't know, you know, depending upon how he was kicking. But he's out there kicking by himself in Berea. I mean, who knows? So, well, I'll let you guys resolve the kicker in Odell. And, Doug, I'm glad. I appreciate you helping me on Odell because uh, you had a, actually more insight. I just had anger. <laughs> well, I've been, hey, I've been an Odell. Thank you so much. I've been an Odell backer I know all of last year. And, I, and I, I'm not giving up on him. But, man, he's just got to be better. That was – that was a tough performance today. All right, David Cohen also has his hand raised. So we are going to go to David as soon as you're unmuted. Uh, you should have gotten a prompt there. You can unmute yourself and go ahead. Hey, thanks. Hey, thanks for uh, you guys uh, bearing with <laughs> this team. I've been following them since the, literally since the 60s uh, as a little kid. Um, it's interesting. It, it's great that, you know, the, you, you pick on the, the, you can pick on a lot of little different things in there. 
but overall, I'm with, uh, I think, Shannon. I, the, I can't even describe my – I didn't expect him to win. I expected him maybe to get six wins this year. But th- this, was a, this was beyond disappointment and embarrassment. It, in spite of all these little – yeah, they're out, they're, they're not, they're, they don't have the talent of, of Baltimore yet. But this, is, this gap, at what point um, in, in a 21-year rebuild – do you, would you guys say shouldn't shouldn't they start to be closing the gap on on uh, they've had, they've got to start closing the gap and become competitive with Pittsburgh and Baltimore and this was such a it, I I was texting my brother it looked like Alabama versus Youngstown from Ohio obviously for, I was raised in Ohio um, it looked like Alabama versus Youngstown State it it just at what point would you think that it, you can pick on any individual play all you want, but six points, and then they really didn't stop them. The only time they stopped them, I think, was when the Ravens fumbled. What, what, you got to start closing the gap on on the division, the division leader, um, and this was not, this wasn't even close. Um, what do you guys think of uh, when, when should you expect this team to start? becoming competitive here. So I want to make this point. Mary Kay is coming in. I'll, I'll get out of here, but I want to leave with this. The Ravens are going to make a lot of teams look like that. And I think we have to take into account that that is a cohesive team with the MVP at quarterback, their young second year receivers healthy, but they have a lot of things going for them. Listen, man, I ripped the bills in our preseason picks podcast on Friday and I was wrong on my pick. The Bills beat the Jets today, and everybody thinks Josh Allen's going to be the MVP. The Jets when do the when do the Browns get to play the Jets in their opener? We would not be talking about the Bills in the Super Bowl if Lamar Jackson had taken the Bills apart today. You have to take the opponent into account. This is probably their toughest game. What tougher game is there than going on the road against the team that was 14 and 2 last year? So And it was awful. It was awful. But I just don't want people to extrapolate too much out of this, right? They had the injuries. They're going to get some of the the guys in the secondary back healthy. Ronnie Harrison's barely been here. They will get better. And so I I don't think this is the line in the sand to draw. This game proves they're going to only win six games or this game proves they're never going to catch up to the Ravens or the Steelers. It's the first game for Kevin Stefanski. They sucked. But I just don't want people, and I know it's tough. I just would advise anyone, don't overreact to it too much. And I think they will look better Thursday against Cincinnati. Yeah. I'm, they, I'm, they, oh, go I was just going to say, they, they closed the gap in 2002. Remember that? They made the playoffs and everything. And then and the gap was widened. So that's about it. Yeah. I, I am glad you said that, though, because we are going to do a little later. We're going to talk a little big picture. So before you got out of here, I'm, I'm glad you uh, got to have your say on on that comment. Now we're going to bring in Mary Kay. Look at that background, Mary Kay. Where did you find that? I'm just in some random <laughs> West Box room. I'm in the lunchroom. Okay. <laughs> Larissa light behind me. You've got like Super Bowl stuff behind you. Yeah. <laughs> I planned right. it that way. All right, Mary Kay, I've been asking everybody this when they popped in. Your, uh, your impressions of this game, what, what was when, when that clock hit zero, what, what did you think? Well, you know, I, the thing that just struck me throughout this whole entire thing was that the collective amount of mistakes by every single facet of the game and every person, people that don't make mistakes were making mistakes. It was absolutely bizarre, and it just snowballed on them. And I think it, you know, it, it – it set the tone when Baker Mayfield threw an interception on the first drive of the game. It just all unraveled from there, and they couldn't get it back together. I asked Baker Mayfield about that after the game, and he said, you know, the really good teams, they can pull it back together. You nip it in the bud. You don't, you know, pile mistake on top of mistake on top of mistake. That was the thing to me uh, that was really quite shocking, is that they couldn't get themselves out of mistake mode, um, and, you know, I don't know. I guess they do have to just chalk this up as um, their first, you know, their pre- that's their preseason game. And, you know, it's just got to get better after this. That's a heck of a preseason game. You know, you know what, what we need to talk about before we really get it, go back to some of the big picture stuff is I, I do think we need to spend some time on the defense. 
And, and Ellis, I'll, I'll bring you in here. When you look at this defense, like there are a lot of injuries, right? Greedy Williams was not out there now. Maybe you could make the case that having Terrence Mitchell out there is better. I don't know, but Greedy Williams is not out there. Kevin Johnson is still out. Um, Ronnie Harrison, as, as Doug mentioned, is not out there. I think the uh, Andrew Sandejo experiment will probably end when Ronnie Harrison is ready to kind of take over that spot, uh, especially if he continues to play like he did today. But I'm just concerned about what I saw to this defense, Ellis, because especially up front, it really felt like that front four just had almost no impact on this football game. Yeah, outside of, of course, the, the fumble recovery will force some will then recovery. Um, I have a few cut-ups of them getting pressure on Lamar Jackson, but you're, you're right, Dan. There wasn't a whole lot to talk about. Um, I think of one cut-up I had, Miles Garrett loses contain on Lamar Jackson, just ignoring his, his, his rules there and not playing with discipline. And the, the broken plays is what you can't have against Lamar Jackson. There was a few times on first half when they have him bottled up with a four-man rush, exactly what you need out of this front unit and Lamar is able to make something happen. And I understand it's Lamar Jackson, but you got to play a near perfect game. And they were the complete opposite of that. When, when, when the Browns are dropping seven into coverage and the Ravens are still converting, it, it, it is a combination of not getting pressure. And then these linebackers and safeties, these nickel backers, not playing physical at, at all. And you're right about Ronnie Harrison. They're going to need him in soon. Sandejo was very sloppy today. Uh, not assignment sound. I saw slow feet. And then as for what was really interesting about the Ravens is they really didn't try a whole lot today. They really didn't show a whole lot of their offense because they didn't need to. If they wanted to go out and test um, the Browns outside corners and Terrence Mitchell, like you mentioned, or Denzel Ward, they could have, and they, and they didn't have to. I'm watching the Bengals game right now and uh, Joe Burrow would have, probably two passing touchdowns right now. If he didn't just barely overthrow uh, uh, John Ross and AJ Green both. And uh, I know we're going to have a look ahead here at the end, but I expect the Bengals to come out and test the Browns outside receivers on Thursday. And there's just, it goes to this. There's just not a lot of people on this defense that scares opposing offensive coordinators and missing Grant Delpit. I know he's a second round pick and a rookie, but he was probably going to be, if not the second best player, at least the second most athletic defensive player on this team and not having him out there is really going to hurt throughout this season. And they're just, they, they got to play better up front. They got to either find a way to win with four or send five or possibly six and just hope to get to the quarterback because today, what, what happened today didn't work. And I predict on Thursday that these outside corners are going to get tested because we've already seen that inside that the Browns can't cover yet. Right. I, think, I think what worried me, too, is the things we expected to struggle really got exposed today. Yeah, like they, didn't, exactly. they didn't play better than we thought. The, the back of that defense, the linebackers, didn't play better. Scott, what did you think of the D? You know, last year after the Browns and Ravens played in week four, I wrote a story, what was Miles Garrett doing all game? Because he had one pressure. I have a feeling I'll be maybe doing that story <laughs> again. Uh, and it's not going to be as good because last year – he created opportunities for his teammates. They sacked Lamar Jackson four times. He had a couple of picks that game. Uh, but he was, he was demanding attention and, and, and good things were happening for other people. And we didn't see that so much today. Um, but just, you're right there. Everybody seemed to be open, you know. Um, everybody talks about Lamar Jackson's accuracy. You don't have to be accurate when your receivers are running, you know, five, ten yards uh, away from, from – the coverage it, it was kind of like that all all day and when he got outside the pocket and it, it just kind of became even worse for the Browns they just had all sorts of trouble staying with people and um yeah I mean when you're down two or three defensive backs uh and you don't have a ton of great depth to begin with you're gonna that's gonna happen Mary Kay well you know I mean my uh some of my reigning thoughts about the defense have to do with the fact that, I mean, this defense has been through hell this training camp. It really has. And when you look out there, you, they were just suffering under the weight of so much of what they have been through. You can't go through everything that this defense has gone through this summer and then come out against the Baltimore Ravens and expect that it's going to look good. I mean, my goodness, they lost one of their replacement starters, Jacob Field, 
Phillips in the middle of the game. They were already without Mac Wilson, Grant Delpit, uh, you know, um, Kevin Johnson, Greedy Williams. So they were down four starters to begin with. Then they lost Jacob. You know, they just don't have, they didn't have the horses they needed to go up against a team like this. They were just trying to fit too many pieces and parts. Carl Joseph was in and out of every practice. BJ Goodson, every day I look out there over the past two weeks, he wasn't there most of the time because uh, he had a death in the family and wasn't able to practice. So I think there was so much adversity uh, on this defense that they kind of crumbled under the weight of it. Now, I thought Larry Ogunjobi started out very strong. I think that he was someone that was really ready to, to roll. Uh, you know, he forced the fumble and uh, he made a, a couple of other really nice plays. And I saw some flashes here and there. But, you know, I don't think Miles Garrett had the kind of game that you need him to have, especially when he was suspended for six games. And he's saying, hey, I'm going to come back with a vengeance and I'm going to give this team everything that I have. I mean, he just didn't, once again, make enough of an impact. I mean, when you walk away from a football game, if you didn't see Miles Garrett tearing it up uh, out on that football field, uh, you know, a lot, then something's missing, something's wrong. And he did go for most of the game, went against a really good uh, offensive line. Uh, he, he was on both sides, but he saw Ronnie Stanley, some of it. But, uh, you know, even, even after Ronnie was out, he still didn't get a sack. Um, it's very, very, very hard, obviously, to sack Lamar Jackson. That doesn't happen often. But it doesn't have to just be that. It can be so many other ways that you can impact the game. And we did not see enough of that from him. They still have problems at linebacker. I'd still call Clay Matthews. Why not? I mean, uh, it, it's, it's worth a try. I've been saying it all summer long. I thought they actually should have brought in a few other, other guys like Yannick Nagakawe. I mean, there are issues going on with this defense. Now, once again, you're not going to be playing the Ravens every week. This is a hell of an offense. It is unbelievable. And Lamar is better. Some of those throws were pretty incredible that he made. Uh, and it's not going to be like this every week, but it's going to be like this enough. And, uh, and you know, they, they just absolutely 100% have to step it up. Offense didn't help him, turned the ball over three times, put him in bad situations, gave him short fields. Who can survive in, under those conditions, of course. But there are a lot of problems on this defense right now. Yeah, sorry, real quick, Dan. I'm glad Mary Kay brought up some names that aren't in Cleveland right now because it really comes down to that this team just doesn't have the playmakers. And I, I said this uh, a couple weeks ago when I asked you guys on a podcast, who's the second best player on this defense? And we all thought it should be Denzel Ward. Well, sure, he wasn't tried that much today, but I can show you some clips where he definitely wasn't where he needed to be. And I'm looking at a depth chart right now that I printed off in August. Um, it has... Tavier Thomas and Sheldrick Redwine both listed as third stringers. Of course, Sheldrick playing three safety and Thomas at corner. Um, I don't know how much those guys were on the field today, but I'm willing to suspect it was a lot considering Tavier gave up that touchdown to Willie Sneed. And I know Sheldrick was on the field for the first touchdown. Uh, it just comes down to who's the second best player on this defense. And then who's even the best player in this secondary. I, I know we're, we're measuring them against the Ravens right now and, there will be a much more balanced and even matchup on Thursday night, but there, there just are not difference makers on this defense right now inside of miles Garrett. Yeah. This is one of those things where I'm, I'm probably going to be more concerned if we're saying the same thing on Thursday than, than we are today. It is interesting. Miles Garrett was lining up over on that, uh, over that right tackle a lot today. Um, so it, it does sort of seem that's where the Browns maybe want him. And I wonder what kind of adjustment that's going to be. Uh, for him as, as we go along, lining up on that side as opposed to the other side. Uh, got to see a little bit how they'd use Adrian Claiborne. He lined up inside a couple of times. So that was interesting, and he got a sack late in the game. So uh, that, that was at least good to see. All right, Ken Milhone has had – I don't know if I said your last name right, so we'll just go Ken. How's that? Uh, Ken, I'm going to ask you to unmute. You've got your hand up. Uh, fire away when you're ready. All right. Can you hear me? I can. Good, good. Hey, I guess my question is, and I know the second half, it kind of got out of hand and we had to throw it a lot, but man, it looked like we were running pretty decent at the beginning of the game. And in our earlier Zoom we did a few weeks ago, we were saying, you know, this team needs to run until we get our legs under us. 
And I, we didn't do that. I mean, I don't understand why, you know, if Stefanski is such a good offensive guy, why he didn't just keep running the ball because uh, your guy was running well and, and Chubb was running well and, and they didn't keep running. So I'm just interested in your opinions on that. So I'm, I'm looking here in the game book. It's 80 first half rushing yards, 42 on six carries for Chubb and 37 on six carries for Kareem Hunt. And it did feel like, and of course they each had those, uh, they had that back to back where they had really big runs. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess early in that game, I understand when you're getting blown out in the second half, maybe you've got to throw the ball a little more, but I, I do feel like maybe they could have, uh, maybe they could have just fed those backs a little more. I don't know. You know, it just seems like, you know, when, when you fall behind, you just get into catch-up mode, and it's, it's just very difficult uh, to try to keep a really good, solid run game going uh, when you start to get behind and when you start to think you got to get back into the game and you want to loosen up the defense and you, you see that they're starting to maybe not necessarily um, buy on your play fake that much. You know, they're, they're kind of catching on that you're running the ball uh, in, in a certain situation. So, um, so I do think that uh, it, it became difficult to, to stick with that. It's not always going to be like that. Once again, they ran into a really good football team. You don't go 14 and two unless you're a great team. Uh, you don't win 12 games in a row unless you're really, really good. So once again, I do agree with everybody on here that's been saying, I don't think this is a statement that the Browns are horrible, that they can't rebound. We all, I think we all knew that it was going to be a slow start, that it was going to be rocky in the beginning, that it was an unfair advantage to put this football team that just met each other in, on August 1st up against this AFC North defending champion football team. It just really wasn't even a fair fight when you look at it like that. Um, but yeah, I do think that it's, it's tough once you start to fall behind uh, to stay honest with that running game. Ellis and Scott, either of you uh, wanted to see the ball run a little bit more? You're, you're not going to come back from 24-6 down or 31-6 against the Ravens by, by running it. Um, I guess that, you know, the one good takeaway you can get from this is that they did have a pretty decent uh, average uh, in rushing the ball. So they know that if they can get a lead, um, at least it's a, it's, a, it's a place to start. But um, just the way that game was going, you knew they were going to have to pass it more and um, you know, Chubb and Hunt weren't going to be the factors that you were hoping they would be. Yeah, I thought uh, Kareem Hunt looked great. Nick Chubb looked really good, especially, Dan, you uh, referenced that. I think it would have been the second drive when they had um, some back-to-back -back carries there. Uh, Kareem Hunt looked good off the right end that way. They got some momentum going on the right side there. Um, I'll say this. When it comes to running the football in, in a vacuum, it, it, it sounds well when, um, you know, let's just run, run, run. But when you're building a game plan and especially when you're reacting to another team punching you in the face, the way the Jack, the Jack, uh, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens are able to, you have to consider what your offense does based on what your defense can handle. And what I mean by that is there was a point where Lamar Jackson had completed nine to 10 passes. Uh, the Ravens were getting whatever they wanted to. So then you have to figure Kevin Stefanski is thinking about the game in its totality that, all right, my defense can't stop the Ravens right now. So if I run it on first and 10 and we gain one or two and I run it again and now it's third and long, you're, you're just putting your, your defense in a, in a terrible position. So as we've already said, it became a, a game of aggression. You needed to try to now to keep up with the Ravens in a track meet, which you knew you were never going to be able to do in the first place. And that's when the running game gets thrown out the window. Really, this game was decided to me, when Odell dropped that ball on, on third and two and then the missed field goal. That, it, it's, a, it's a deflating moment and really throws your game plan in trying to control the game with running the ball out the window. And now you're playing catch up through the air and, and that's not how this team's going to win. All right, we're going to go back to, uh, to Shannon. He's been waiting with that hand up for a little while. I'm going to unmute you here when you, uh, you get that prompt. Uh, go ahead and unmute yourself and... Uh, Give it another go. Oh my gosh, I was, um, sorry. I was so enamored with what he just said, but I'm <laughs> gonna go ahead. Why in the world do we not think about putting 
Hunt and Chubb in the same backfield, like like more more often. I guess what are y'all's thoughts on that? Am I just being stupid to think that that would be such a a crazy thing to do? I don't know. I'm sorry. Go ahead. So yeah, look, that's something we saw effective used effectively last year. That, that was certainly one thing that Freddie Kitchens did well. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be curious to go back when we get a chance to uh, really rewatch re this game and, and get a look at that, that all 22 as well to kind of see the different formations they used. Um, but I'm trying to think if there were many instances where they were both on the field. Did anybody notice? I mean, I know they used Hunt out wide a couple times and they used him in some different positions, but I'm trying to remember if there was a specific time when they were both on the field together. I don't remember a lot of those times. Again, I have to, uh, I'm going to have to go back and watch the game again. And just so, so the people in our Zoom understand too, that we're also trying to get something written to have available <laughs> for all of you uh, by the time the clock strikes zero. So in between things, you know, we're looking down and we're looking back and trying to write and it gets a little hectic. Uh, so you can't always watch every single thing that you want to watch every second of the game. Uh, but I, I do think that they were on the field at, at different times a lot. Scott, do you recall? I don't remember them being on the field together. I know that's something I brought up during camp and how we didn't really see it. Um, I guess one thing to keep in mind is that with the shortened lead up to this season, they don't, you don't want both of them on the field together for a bunch of snaps in terms of them both being out there all the time because you want to make sure that you're keeping them fresh and you don't want people to get injured at this point in the season because everybody's really still kind of ramping up. Um, so, so rotating them the way they have kind of makes sense, but I would still be shocked if we don't see that sometime soon because we did see it work. We saw um, how the Browns were able to use that to their advantage last season, and you know Kevin Stefanski noticed that. So uh, it, I, I would imagine it's coming. We just you know, haven't seen it in full form yet. And Ken, Ken in the chat says he saw it early, uh, but uh, one of the bags split out each time he saw it. Yeah, I'll say this. Um, if it, 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 it did happen a few times, but I don't expect uh, it to happen often. And Scott is right on with a lot of that. Um, Kevin Stefanski probably watched how Freddie Kitchens used Cream Hunt last year and cringed a little bit. Um, you're not, you don't really want to send one of your feature backs through a whole lead blocking uh, for Nick Chubb behind him. And the reason it worked last year is because the Browns were willing to use Hunt that way and Hunt was willing to give up his body that way. You, if you have them both on the field this year and you're not willing to let either of them be a lead blocker, it really limits what you can do. So I'll say this, had this been a close game, had the Browns needed a two point conversion, maybe a, a gotta have it fourth down. I, I guarantee you that Stefanski has packages with both of them on the field. It is definitely when the Browns would be at their most dynamic, but as Mary Kay said, we have to treat this game and probably the first few like a preseason atmosphere in a way, not that you don't want to win these games. Of course they're must win, but I don't think Kevin Spence is going to be out here emptying his bag and all his, his tricks, if you will, um, in, in week one, especially, as I said, after that missed field goal, the, the game kind of felt over. So you're not going to come out there and open the half with both of them on the field and start showing a bunch of things that, you may want to use against Cincinnati when you know your defense can't get a stop anyway. So it's one week. I expect those two to be on the field at times, but only in got to have it downs, uh, high stake plays, because if they're on this field at the same time at a high usage rate, your insurance policy is out the window. And uh, if one of these guys go down, the offense won't really change all that much. And if you were to lose both of them because they're on the field at the same time or got banged up in back-to-back -back plays, it, it would be, it would be a nightmare. So it's a precautionary thing and a, a, a wait and see and I've got to have it moment for those two on the field at the same time, I think. Well, as, as we're recording this uh, in the fourth quarter of Bengals Chargers, the Chargers have put up 157 rushing yards uh, against that Cincinnati defense. So uh, similar, it looks like that Cincinnati Bengals defense from, from a year ago. Uh, we got, uh, I thought I saw two hands raised, but I know I see at least one hand raised. So we're going to go to Hirsch. I'm going to hit unmute here once you get that prompt. Go ahead. 
try one more time here. All right. Myself. Okay. There we go. Now, okay, there good. Go. Sorry. So I want to say, uh, Ellis, I really enjoy your film breakdowns. They're, they're terrific in the paper and uh, they're, they're always incredibly instructive. I, so my question to you is this. What, all summer we're reading about play fakes and open, uh, opening up the passing lanes. It, it, every time you, pick, you looked up, Baltimore receivers are wide open. Why, the Browns receivers, like, they're not open. I don't get it. What, uh, explain that. And finally, what after that? Is Jedrick Wilfs okay or is he, uh, do we don't know? I'll, uh, I'll, grab that, I'll grab that second part first, Allison, and let you go. We, we don't yeah. know yet uh, about the, uh, the Wills injury, uh, but we'll, we'll probably know more in the next day or two. He, he right, looked, I thought I, I watched as many plays with him as I could. I, saw, I think he missed one assignment that I saw. I thought he held his own reasonably well. But what about the play fakes? What happened? Matt, uh, Matt, um, Mayfield under center, play fake. I, I don't know. It's, it's, uh, our receivers were covered. Passes were getting batted down. It's uh, Ellis, what's going on? Yeah. So first, I, I appreciate the compliment. Appreciate your readership. Uh, these are these are fun pieces to put together. So um, when I know people are reading them, that uh, gives me even more reason to keep going. So I appreciate it. Um, all right. As for the play action game, it really comes down to this. We got to remember how loaded this Ravens defense is. Um, you didn't just see Patrick Queen strip Nick Chubb, a guy who you know we say never fumbles, even though he's had a few. Um, now in his professional career, but um, that's not all Patrick Green was doing, the Ravens rookie linebacker. He's got the ability to uh, cover the field laterally in a way that the Browns line, linebackers cannot. So that's really, and then you see a guy like um, Michael Pierce uh, covering Odell on a deep in, and really Jarvis was the only guy able to break free at times. And it is, football is not that complicated of a game. A lot of times it comes down to personnel and your athletes on the field. This Ravens defense is stout and simply loaded in positions of athleticism. Um, though they didn't get after Baker all that much, the Browns play action was really not effective because one, the Ravens didn't buy it. They would have rather the Browns run it down the field on them and you know keep turning those yards four or five yards at a time and then having them prove it on third down, which the Browns were unable to do, see the Odell drop or among other plays. I think the Browns were what, like three for 12 on third down or some atrocious number like that. Mm -hmm. So that's the Ravens philosophy right there. Go ahead, run the football. When it comes to third and short, we're going to stop you. And because they've got the better athletes. And I believe the Ravens will do this to many other teams across the league, not just the Browns this year. And then again, to answer your question, as I've been talking about at the start of this, the Browns don't have the athletes to stop crossers. I, I, I released a film breakdown um, a couple hours ago on the way the Browns linebackers and nickel safeties and corners just refuse to get hands on and play physical with uh, the slot receivers or tight ends. So that's either a coaching mistake or a, a, a too much going on in their head type of thing. They get the snap and they are more worried about where they need to be rather than what they should be doing. So I think it's a, it's a combination of a lack of athletes on the Browns and a, a install that clearly the Browns didn't have time and the Ravens are the Ravens, Herschel, and I wish I had a better uh, comeback than that, but it's a loaded defense, and they're going to make other offenses look bad this year, too. All right, let me, let me get to one more raised hand here before we, uh, before we wrap. This is uh, Roman. I had just hit unmute there, so when you can unmute. Am I saying your name right? Yeah, can you hear me? I can hear you. All right, go ahead. All right, so I got some, uh, some observations. Uh, Mary Kay scared me a couple of weeks ago when she uh, made a point that Case Keenum actually looked better than Baker Mayfield against the ones. And since then, I've just been nervous about his play. And honestly, I really don't have the patience to sit and watch him develop under this offense. I'd rather have Case Keenum in there. At least we know what we're getting. We can make adjustments, so on and so forth. My second uh, observation is Odell is really holding up this offense I don't know what it is, but he can't seem to get open. Uh, and then he gets rattled easily. I noticed he got bumped off the line. And I mean, he was just out of his element after that. And then the third observation is, I mean, I didn't expect this to be a close game, but you know, I mean, we don't have a good defense, but you know, at least make it an offensive shootout. And we, we couldn't even do that. 
And where was the tight end play? I mean, they were struggling with the tight ends early. I think Austin Hooper got open for Baker and uh, converted some yards. And then after that, it was just non-existent. So that's all I have. I'm a little disappointed, but, you know, we'll bounce back. Um, let me address a couple of those things uh, for you real quick. First of all, I was, uh, I was very concerned at the scrimmage when uh, Case Keenum and the second-team offense fared better against the first-team defense than Baker Mayfield and the first-team offense fared against the second-team defense. That's a concern. I don't care what anybody says. I've seen enough practices. I've seen enough training camp in my lifetime to know that that raises a red flag. And then especially he ended it on a pick at the goal line. Uh, undrafted rookie picked him off. I mean, those are things that uh, at least if nothing else, you have to go back to the drawing board and say, why did that happen? We've got to figure this out. We've got to batten down the hatches. We only have 10 days left. I, wor I was worried and I wrote a column off that, off that scrimmage, uh, you know, saying that it's, it's not time to worry yet, but also to shine a light on the fact that, uh, you know, that Baker Mayfield is learn learning a new scheme, learning new footwork, learning new terminology, learning new personnel and no time to do it. And so I did think it was going to be a concern. I don't think it necessarily means Case Keenum is a better quarterback. Uh, we, don't, we don't know if Case would have, have fared better in this offense today. We don't really know. Um, you know, I, I, I know they're very, very committed to Baker Mayfield. I don't think this is a situation where he has to be looking over his shoulder or that he's on a short leash or anything like that. Um, but I, I do think that Case has more of a comfort level right now in the scheme, in the offense, and just kind of in general. And then uh, Odell, Odell and Baker have to get it together. I mean, they, I don't know how they're going to do it. It's hard to do it in practice, but, uh, and I think it'll look a lot better than it did against these two Pro Bowl cornerbacks is a really, really good defense. Uh, so I, I think that going forward, there will be times when those two look a lot better together but it's still going to be a work in progress. They've got to keep repping it and working on it and working on it because right now, uh, today, I mean, last year we came in here, he had two catches for 20 yards. This time, three for 22. I mean, that's just not going to cut it from Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, we've talked a lot about Odell today. Uh, Austin Hooper, two catches for 15 yards, both in the first half. Um, tight ends overall had six catches, one in the second half. Um, so I'm interested to see once we can get a look at the, uh, you know, the all 22 film to see if people were open, if they weren't open, um, you know, how often they were in, in, in formations that were, where they had multiple guys running around it. First half, they were getting it done. But again, I think maybe some things changed that maybe they wanted to do once they fell behind so much, um, a little more three wide receiver, a little less two tight end looks, but yeah, it wasn't a, a, a great debut for Austin Hooper either. Yeah, Scott, I think that's a great point about the All-22 because um, there, Baker had plenty of time in the pocket, especially on those broken plays. And I'll say this about Baker. He just – I know that's a really, really good Ravens defense, and I need to keep that in mind. But he just doesn't look good looking for that secondary play. Um, you know, you don't want to compare him to Lamar Jackson or uh, Patrick Mahomes. But even, even someone like uh, – I saw Derek Carr today, you know, able to extend the play and find someone open in that secondary – option, you know, when the play breaks down. And perhaps, Scott, when we're able to look at the All-22, like you said, we're going to see some things where he should have let it rip instead of, you know, tucking it and trying to make something happen when he just doesn't have the athleticism at the at the NFL to probably do that. So we're going to have to wait and see. But, yeah, the tight ends were, were dormant outside of Njoku's. Um, really, he went up and mossed. Uh, was, was that Jimmy Smith? I, I can't remember. But he went up and made a really nice play. Baker made a great read on one-on-one -on -one coverage there. But when there's only one play that comes to mind out of the tight ends outside of a, a play-action sellout blitz um, from the Ravens, that was just really disrespectful. They just they thought it was the Browns of last year. They were just, we're, we're going to run it eight times and not try play-action. But, yeah, just a disappointing performance from the tight ends as a whole. And, and, and when Baker Mayfield only throws for, you know, what was 189 yards, you know, there's not going to be much to talk about in the passing game in general. Okay, we have hit seven o'clock. Uh, that's about what we uh, decided we were going to do. We have to kind of get back and wrap up 
uh, everything that we, uh, we want to put up on the site for all of you. So look, we're going to keep trying this as we go along and make some adjustments and, and try and figure out how this all works. But I thought today went pretty well. Of course, as I always say, I appreciate everyone who subscribes to Football Insider. All right. So I appreciate all of you for jumping in with your questions, uh, everyone out there for listening, and of course, our entire panel uh, for joining us for our first ever Football Insider post-game show. I'm going to hit end on this meeting. Thanks for joining us, everybody.